Amata Ratumbat was lost in life, floundering somewhere between the French ideals of liberty, equality, and fraternity in the urban ghettos of Paris filled with disenfranchised immigrant youth. He would find a path in life through martial arts and after relocating to his ancestral homeland of Laos, discover his inner self. Amitat recently led the Lao National Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu team to its first international competition at the 2023 SEA Games in Cambodia. And he is now preparing for a history-making appearance at the 2023 Asian Games. His mission, to elevate the profile of Lao martial arts on the international stage. Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to another episode of C4 Podcast. Southeast Asian Athlete Achievement Through Adversity. My name is Coach Antetka. I'm here with my co-host, John Messina. We have an exciting guest on today. Actually, um, we have a, a guest from Laos that is actually in Laos um, versus, you know, like a, a lot of other our guests were probably born here in the state. So we're actually doing this with a 12-hour, it's our first time with a 12-hour time difference. It's 7 p.m., here in Chicago, and it's 7 a.m. there in, in Vientiane, Laos. So um, if you guys haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe, and, uh, you know, follow us on Facebook. Um, if you know any great athletes that you would like to see or hear on the show, yeah, please let us know. Send us a message, okay? So without further ado, let me send it over to my co-host, John. Yeah, thank you, everybody. We have a very interesting guest today. But first, I wanted to thank everybody that listens to the podcast and all the followers of the Lao American Sports Hall of Fame. We actually met Amata, today's guest, at the SEA Games in Cambodia this last year. And I just want to thank a couple of people. Um, you know, Laos has limited funding, and we were supported by, by several individuals and some organizations to take our athlete contingent there. So a special thank you to Lao TV Canada and the National Lao Golf Association. Check out these organizations on their Facebook pages and the website. Um, Lao TV Canada did several interviews with the athletes that we brought, including my own daughter, Angelina Messina, Dawson Sihavong, the Dirks Wager sisters, and Jed Slayman, who was the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu silver medalist for Laos. And that's what brings us to our guest today. We actually met him through the Slayman family while there, and we're working on some other things together for some future games, which we probably can't talk about today because it's still in development, but a lot of exciting stuff to come. So with that, I'm going to have Amata introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his origins in Laos. And he actually grew up in France, but is back in Laos now. So Amata, tell us about your early years. Oh, thanks uh, first for having me. Uh, and uh, probably the first uh, French uh, guy and not Latin American. And <laughs> love yeah, French. yeah. So sure. for you, you are the first French. Yes. Uh, luckily, I'm a French who can speak English, which is not also very <laughs> common, I guess. <laughs> so uh, yes, I was born uh, in France. Actually, my parents were uh, uh, Lao, both of them. Uh, my my dad uh, came from Vientiane, and my mother come from um, originally came from the, the south, uh, from uh, from Paxé. Um, in, um, but they met in France. Uh, they met in France in the mid seventies. After one week or so, they decided to marry because uh, we stronger together. You know, imagine them uh, in in the seventies. They don't speak the language. They 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 bumping into each other. I don't really know the details. And yeah, male female, they quite look good. Okay, let's uh, let's be together and and be stronger together. I think it's probably what how it happened more more or less. And they had four kids. 
And I'm the oh, second. I'm, I'm sorry, real quick, because you mentioned the mid seventies. They met in France. So did they? Was that right after the war? And they left. And they left Laos. No, and they, had a there? no they didn't. They didn't. 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 Didn't flee the war. They were not the uh, what we call the boat people. They left before the. Oh, okay. They were, sent, they were sent to study. Actually, they were uh, lucky enough to have, um, you know, in the in, in these times, some families when they 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 could afford to send one of their kids abroad mm -hmm. for for studying, mm -hmm. they would just one pick up one and and, and send them. Uh, and most of our parents were were the, the chosen ones you know, to 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 study abroad, and um, and uh, and uh, that that's how they met, and they, they left before the war. Actually. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm, I mean, interrupt. I'm, yeah, please continue. Continue. No, no. And, and so I'm, I'm the second of the of, uh, four siblings, and we we very close actually. Um, my uh, uh, older sister, my younger brother, we we just follow each, each other. My sister likes to likes to call me uh, the the next egg because we have something like a ten months difference. She was born in September seven seventy six, and I was born in uh, July seventy seven. So right after she, my mother gave birth, she, she right away uh, <laughs> fell pregnant with me. Then my brother just coming something like uh, September or so, the on seventy uh, no seventy eight. So just uh, right after us. So we we grew up like a triplets actually, but we had mm -hmm. also um, a small sister, the, the little one came who came nine year, nine years uh, later. She, uh, she 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 was the you know the 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 baby one of the of the, the, the siblings. Yeah. So we, the two of us are we following each other. We grew up together. And nine, ten years later, our little sister came came to our family. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, just ask. Yeah. So, so at what point did you get into martial arts as a as a kid, as a teenager? Uh, you know, like every kid, you're watch, watching. Anyway, it was the the Bruce Lee era, the John Claude Van Damme era. Of course, you. Influenced by this, the VHS. We coming with, with the, your your friends. We had the chance to have VHS in the eighties as well. People, kids now they don't understand because they have YouTube and everything is coming here. Yeah. But at this time, you know, no nobody has a, a VHS. It was something that you know, was a, something that uh, that's not that common. And had to find the copies of the videos, video clubs, uh, a lot of uh, piracy, <laughs> a lot of copy of copy of uh, yeah. movies. Sometimes rents in, in shops. And yeah, I watched these kind of movies, but I did not really fell into martial arts at, at this time. It came quite later, actually. Um, it was, I was really uh, an adult. Um, I was uh, um, in my mid-twenties, um, actually. I used to do my first uh, sport where um, was uh, handball. Handball, we, can, we say handball, but I don't say in English. Uh, it's a um, uh, German sport. That's why we say uh, handball. It's the one you're dribbling with a small ball um, and uh, trying to, uh, like basketball, but with a small ball and with a with a football cage, uh, soccer cage. Oh, okay. um, when I was a hmm. kid, and many kind of sport. Um, in some, at the time when we were kids, our dad tried to train us to uh, with the Muay Thai and Muay Lao when we were kids. Uh, he, he made us wake, wake up every morning at six and run and do all these kind of exercise and. And uh, it was actually a, a first introduction to martial arts. Moila was um, something like, uh, I think I was seven, eight, something like this. But okay. he didn't, didn't, really, didn't really last. Uh, my, my dad didn't find the, the courage to keep pushing up every morning. 
in we're just playing with my brother but nothing serious actually nothing really serious yeah so so even before you got to your 20s though you got your family faced quite a bit of adversity with your parents splitting up right tell us a little bit about that what you're comfortable talking about and what you uh, had to uh, go through and the first thing is that um um, you know, when you come here, uh, uh, not now, not now, now it changed a, a bit, but a couple of years before, um, a lot of people, when they were seeing um, uh, a Lao uh, who was, um, or people, uh, they were considering people going abroad and people who were, who were born abroad, like they were automatically, automatically um, phalanx and rich people. And there's always expecting you to, uh, you know, to, to bring something, uh, you know, pay for things or... And they don't realize that some are doing good, but some are not doing that good. And it was the case of my parents. We not we're not really rich people, you know. We were um, actually living um, at six in um, twenty square meters apartment in, in Paris, a small flat, two uh, two two rooms, and uh, it get us closer. But it's also the, all the promiscuity of living together in such a, a close space, and um, and. Uh, my my parents didn't have um, you know that good incomes. My dad didn't work that that um, that much. Even he was very very talented man. He was a very gifted man, but somehow lazy, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. maybe too spoiled by this by his parents because he, he both of them came from good families, kind of wealthy families at the time. Um, my mother was um, she was the, the bread uh, um, earner actually, but she worked as a as a clerk in a grocery shop for almost all her life and uh, and she was the one who were providing uh, for us uh working uh, working up every morning at five o'clock to go to uh you know to uh, to uh, to her shop and and yeah and she was uh, she was the um, the real support of the family but of course my dad was uh, the boss because he was the dad uh you know in the Lao culture it's kind of this way uh, yeah and of course it was the, the smarter one because he felt that he was the smartest even if it was true, it was always smart. But with, with years, and I realized how my how my mom was so wiser than him, uh, so wiser than him, and so gifted. There's, there was she had so many hidden talents that I discovered even in later. You know, for example, at the end of the you know her life in the sixties, she got a, a kind of passion for hairdressing. And you know, hairdressing you had to to de- uh, draw models and you know some kind of uh, hair designs. And I found her doing incredible portraits of people, and I never, didn't know that she was uh, good at drawing. And what the, the day when I really, really realized how why, why she was is actually the first six months when I arrived in Laos, I installed myself in Laos in 2009. Uh, my mother came after six months to visit me and to stay with me. And in French, she always uh, speak to me um, in Lao, always speak to me in Lao. Um, that I always uh, speak to her in French. And when she was in, in, in love with me for this first month, she always speak to me in French, in French. And to a point when she was trying to annoy me, mom, why are you speaking to me in, in French? And she looked at me, she said, because, uh, no, uh, let me correct. Uh, I said, yes, mom, why did you, uh, why do you speak to me in French? Um, and uh, we never did that before in French, uh, in, in French, you always speak to me in love. And she looked at me and said, um, when you were in France, I didn't want to forget. I didn't. I didn't want. Um, when you were in France, I didn't want you to forget your Lao. Now that you're in Lao, I don't want you to forget your French. And it struck me. It struck me so hard. Was, uh, That's, That's funny. Her and I realized, oh, yeah, yeah, she's 
she she got the point. <laughs> she got the point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's wise. Yeah, definitely wise. Yeah. 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 So um, yes, um, so we have, we're kids of immigrants, and um, it's also yeah in a small um, apartment in Paris, but also not in very nice neighborhoods. I don't how, I don't now, know if I can. Say. What? How how was it like growing up in 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 where were you guys in Paris or a big city yeah, yeah. or? And it's yeah, like whether whether all of the ocean families over their time or was it all French? Was it was it all different? All European? <laughs> was it you know? Did you have? No, no. This is the funny part of it? this is the funny part of my story. In what maybe um um make it, me and my siblings a bit particular. We were born in in Paris, which is the capital city of France. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a, a, the ghetto area of of, of Paris. Mm -hmm. It was the 13th district. Which is also the Chinatown, but actually we were not in Chinatown. We were in China. Um, you know, Chinatown was you know, a few blocks um, above our, our streets, but we were in the kind of um, uh, African Arabic um, neighborhood. So okay. all, all my, yeah. all of my um, uh, friends and, and childhood friends are uh, uh, people come from Africa, North Africa, and and not in um, Arabic countries and um, Muslim countries actually. So we grew up in France in the Chinatown, but not in the in, not surrounded by by um, Asian people actually, um, which is quite rare. Most of it, most of French people, um, French, Lao French, they growing together, speaking the language together, and, and meeting each other. It was not really the case. We met Lao people um, uh, quite um, regularly through my father because he, uh, he was running a kind of um, association of Lao people uh, in France. So he was the president of this association and, and was running uh, some kind of you know, boon or celebrations quite um, regularly, you know, yearly or two times a year for, for, for a lot of people together. You know, and, um, and we had some kind of uh, political meetings at home, you know, with my, my uh, father bringing up all his friends and talking about uh, how they wanted to, uh, 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 I wouldn't say install democracy, but you know all these topics that were in, in the you know this time and often you know um, our people abroad talking uh, about um, politics you know, outside of the country. So it was um, um, it was not um, wealthy or whatever, but it was very happy. Uh, really loved my my childhood. We really had a, a good time with my brothers and sisters and siblings. Um, and the first part of my um, childhood was very happy, uh, to be honest. Like like you said, uh, it's, yes, not meaning uh, the financial aspect because we're very poor. We didn't really have uh, um, my, the nice clothes that the, all the kids had. Um, sometimes I learned it when I was um, older, but my, my sister, that, that sometimes my my mom had to, uh, to go to the... Um, how do you call that? Sorry. It's like a, we call that. like the, the Goodwill or like the, the thrift store secondhand. Yeah, no, no, to get some food and stuff. So, oh, okay. Food bank or something. Yeah. Yes. So I didn't know it until I was an adult, but my, my, my sister told me that, yes, yeah, she used to go with my mom to, to get to go there, but I didn't realize it uh, as a kid. Uh, and, um, and I didn't really understand really the struggles of my parents, actually. Uh, and they didn't really show it. They didn't share share these kind of things. But actually, for me, I felt that uh, I have very good memory of this time. But when the struggle started, when my dad um, actually um, 
uh, had to had to go to Laos in '92, I guess '94. I don't remember the exact year, because actually his own mom was dying, and uh, my my dad was uh, kind of the favorite of this family. That's also why he was sent abroad. And um, he, uh, he I can totally understand. He wanted to say goodbye to his mom, uh, so he went to to Laos. And at this time, we were not. Um, I think we already had the citizenship, French citizenship, but my dad never applied for it. He applied for us, for my mom, and for uh, us uh, the kids, but he never planned to ha to have it. He always kept his Lao um, nationality because he he always planned to to come back here. It was uh, his yeah. plan from the beginning. And so he was on a visa here, and, and uh, since um, her, his mom was um, sick for a long time, more than six months, um, his uh, conduit, his um, authorization to leave France to come uh, expired, and uh, he couldn't come back for what I for what I understood at first. Mm. Uh, so it was um, uh, it was traumatizing for me. Uh, um, not really for me, I would say I was very. Um, 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 worried about my little sister. She was a six at this time, and um, and my and my dad loves her so much. He, he used to call her my little princess every time, every day. He really loved her, and uh, I couldn't really uh, re understand how a dad could uh, give, uh, give um, uh, abandon uh, uh, such a young um, kids, and um. This is uh, probably one of the turning points of my life. Um, at first, you know, first summer I was very happy because, you know, when you don't, you don't have your dad on your back, when you're a teenager, I was 14, this time you kind of feel freedom. But freedom is a, um, freedom is a, uh, it's not an easy gift. You have to deal with it. You know, it's not, uh, freedom is not free of charges. No. You know, you, it's uh, something that uh, you Americans know very well. It's not something that, uh, so something first you have to deserve. It's something also that came with the responsibilities. And I was probably too young to, to take this from some responsibilities to assume or to understand what's, what's happening. And uh, so the first years, uh, the first months, the first couple of months, I was happy until I realized that he would not come back. He said that he would, wouldn't come back. Um, and um, so it impacted me because my sister. And it's also the... Uh, you know, 14, it's also an age when probably you need your dad a lot. Uh, you know, you need a, a male figure in your household. Uh, I was starting, you know, to, to grow, to change, uh, facing all the things that all teenagers are facing, you know, puberty and, and how to deal, uh, you know, with what's happening when you're a teenager. And um, it was difficult for me uh, to a time that, you know, uh, a lot of um, my mom they couldn't manage me actually I, I guess you know in all families we have uh, one kid who is a uh, kind of the the black duck we say in French you know, the, the black sheep kid. black sheep in the yeah, English black sheep. Black. Yeah, yeah, black sheep and and I was the black sheep actually I was quite um, the, the naughty kid uh, so um, my mom couldn't manage um, my character she was uh, we she was a uh, uh, overwhelmed by, by me and, and my brother and sister was also um, supporting her, which was the, the good, um, uh, the good, uh, the good attitude. And um, to open when I get um, kind of uh, hard work with my my siblings, and uh, to open also uh, when I drop out, out drop out drop out of school actually uh, from last I kept in school 
platform um, from 14 to, six, to 16 when I entered high school. And after high school, uh, I, I dropped out of school. I just did, they don't want to go there. I just, okay, I don't go there anymore. And, um, and so when um, that, I was, I think that I was um, um, in, in kind of severe depression for the, this, this years actually, the, these first years. And it was one of the um, consequence of this depression. Okay, my, I didn't talk to my family for, for a long years. I dropped out of school, I was doing nothing, uh, playing, uh, staying home, playing video games and, and, and kind of things. And um, the only thing that I did, uh, took a personal responsibility about it was taking care of my little sister. Uh, so um, I tried to uh, make sure that uh, um, uh, she ha had um, a male figure, a father figure uh, at, at home. So even if I didn't really, um, you know, was my relationship with my dad and my uh, older um, sister and my younger brother were not good, I tried to make sure that um, that uh, she, she was doing well. I was, you know, taking her to school, picking her to, uh, from school, making her do um, her homework. She was my link to um, to my family, actually. She was my link to my my family. For, for quite long years, actually. That's why also we had kind of, we had special relationship, uh, me and my younger sister, because of that. Uh, and uh, she was uh, my, my gate to the world, something like this. She was my gate to the world. And um, so it, uh, it, it, it was not short, it lasts something like seven years. Imagine from 14 to um, 21, uh, you know, being a lost kid, Doing not, not going to school, not working, not uh, um, hanging out at night. Luckily, I was out of drugs and out of, uh, I didn't really into these kind of things, uh, but with no future, you know, um, with, with no plans, with no um, ideas. And what was maybe worse is I had a big influence of my young, young, youngest brother who, um, who dropped school also uh, quickly after me, maybe one or two years, something I, I think at the same time, at 15 or 16, he also dropped out of school at the same time, also at the same level at the high school. And then we went and, and that's it. And he was doing his stuff. Uh, and, uh, and that was it. But my relationship with my dad, my brother was difficult at this time. We were uh, fighting a lot, this, uh, you know, were um, disputing, um, uh, arguing a lot. And in my, um, in my state, uh, also hijack uh, uh, the, the 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 room that we used to share when was when we were a kid, uh, and, and but uh, I, I took it like my personal space, and and I it was always very um, uh, um, selfish, you know, uh, like a selfish kid who a bit lost, and and uh, they were we didn't really know how to handle me. My mom didn't know how to handle me. My uh, brother and sisters didn't know how to handle me. Um, it was, uh, and I was not doing good, you know, no school. I was getting a lot of weight, uh, get overweight. Uh, um, and um, it was a very bad pass, a very um, dark uh, time of my life. Yes. So, so tell us about the turning point now. So tell us how, how things turned around and, and uh, what, 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 was that, what was that moment? 
that change I, think, um, I realize uh, that uh, that um, my situation my family situation was not good and I um, decided that I need to, to escape from it I need to find a way to to go out of uh, of of my of my home and to take dissent from my family because uh, the things were getting worse and um, at this time we, we still had this um, drafting conscription army so I said, okay, I'm 18 now. I want to go to the. Um, I want to go to the army. I want to join the, the army, not as a professional. They will. They were not professional um, uh, army at in front of them. It was conscription, but you could be volunteer and volunteer to to anticipate your 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 drafting time. You know, you're supposed to do one year, and uh, and, and I wanted wanted also to um, take the opportunity to to visit the world. And I heard that um, uh, when you where volunteering in the army, you could uh, choose your destination and wanted to, uh, you know, to, uh, to see other countries. Uh, so I went uh, to the um, recruiting uh, officer, and um, you know you, you go, you have your your medical exam, etc. They they come up with the, you know your your medical file, and um, when I went there, I said, hey, I want to be a volunteer. So you you skip the line okay, because they, they really like volunteering. Uh, and um, and there's two things that uh, that that uh, <laughs> I, I learned uh, with this. Uh, but let's start by the beginning. I told him that uh, I want to be a, yes, I want to be a paratrooper. And he looked at me, he almost laughed at me because I was something like um, 100, 120 kilos for uh, I don't know how much it makes in, in pound because it's uh, your well, that's, that's two hundred fifty, two hundred fifty some pounds. Yeah, 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 for 177, so five, uh, five, six, something like this for you. So, so you're a big a, guy, yeah. Yeah, I was a, not the big guy, but heavyweight. I was yeah. obese. But you know it in America, I don't uh, have to explain this because it's something that is prone in your country. <laughs> but at my time, it was not something that was common, you know. I was a little obese, obese kid um, uh, out school with no plan in the future and wanted to enter uh, one of the elite um, uh, corp in, in France, you know, like uh, if uh, if I was uh, applying for the, the seals or, or the the rangers or whatever, you know, in America, so the, the officer almost laughed at me. He didn't say it this way. We say, "Look at you," he, he, but he was thinking, "Look at you." <laughs> you know, and he said, uh, "You know," and uh, I was very pissed off. I was very, you know, very very pissed off, and was very um, uh, um, my ego took a took a toll on, on this and. Um, and there's this time, there's the in the second country, he asked me, um, uh, where do you want to go? You volunteer, where do you want to go? And I was very damaged time, and I said, I want to go um, as far as possible. I was not precise. I said, I want as far as possible, thinking that they will send me abroad. Actually, they didn't send me abroad. They just sent me in, in the cold mountain in France, <laughs> yeah. in a new camp. <laughs> yeah. It's a good lesson of, uh, I have to be assertive. I, didn't, I was not clear. Uh, my brother did the same, but he was smarter than me and had to go in, in Africa. So he had an incredible time in Africa, in his time in the army. But I went in France, in the uh, northeast of France, uh, in, the, in, the, in the mountains, uh, minus 20 degrees camping, and etc. This is the second part of the, the story. But my, the first part is uh, how, what happened when they, um, uh, when they sent me home and they say, okay, don't dream about it. You won't enter the paratroopers. It's something that never happened with your condition. So I was very, 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 um, uh, I would say in, in English, um, 
my ego took a toll on it. And um, from the, the time you go to the um, recruit, recruitment office, and the time you, you were drafted, something there's some time passing. I think it's one year, and only one year and a half, something like this, or a few months, at mm -hmm. least few months. Some, I don't remember really uh, the amount of time. And from this, uh, from the this the next day to the day of my recruitment, uh, I train every morning. Uh, I woke up in at five, uh, running in, in the in the woods uh, with plungers. And, and doing all this kind of exercise and, and, and uh, pull-up, push-ups, everything. Until I lost um, something like um, 40 kilos. Uh, mm. I, went, oh. I went there, I was uh, 83. I was the best shape of my life. For, for me. I was, uh, um, and I, and, it's, it's, and I was coming from far, you know, and start running. Uh, I think I didn't run more than 30 seconds uh, until when I ended up my training, I could run, you know. Like, uh, you know, like not like marathon because in marathon, but you know, half an hour, one hour, no, no problem. And I was very really in shape, uh, and um, and that's how I entered the the the, the army. Uh, um, and you have this um, um, training phase. You know, you have three weeks when they're incorporating you, and and they will sort you out by what they call the CG the the CG code. It is uh, the code that. Uh, a medical code that uh, mm -hmm. uh, give you um, uh, that um, uh, classify you, you know, as a, as a, you know, what are your physical abilities, and uh, and so you're supposed to go in this kind of uh, corps, and uh, but you have a first a general training, you know, first general training, you know, handling weapons, uh, physical training, etc., etc. But actually, I did very good. Um, I did. Um, uh, you have um, all these uh, uh, written tests, and after after we have a kind of um, uh, a trek. Uh, how do you call it? Military march, you know, with the bags and, and weapons, and working um, hundreds of kilometers, and, and, and people, and you don't sleep, and they try to push you, and and, uh, and try to see how how you can stand. And at the end, uh, um, I was decorated by the colonel. Uh, I was uh, the, oh. five, the five first um, of the out of the of the class of the. The contingent, or I would say, I don't know how to say it in English. No, but the. Um, yeah, the company or the platoon, or we have different words. Uh, not the platoon, but you know, the, there's the, the number of people are coming this year, you know, of the, this month. Have oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the same time. Yeah, the, the class or whatever. Yeah. yeah the class, yes. And so I came up, I came up. Um, uh, among the, the five first, so I have the opportunity to get a. Mm, now my decoration by the by the corner of the of the of the of the of the, of the camp. Well, I understand. I, and I did um, uh, in the written test. I was a third, uh, but the two up, um, above me didn't do the the walking, the, the trekking, so they were not counted. So, uh, basically, I was in uh, and I did this, and so basically, I was uh, the the uh, end up top at the top of class on on, on this. Uh, on this exercise, actually. So it was, uh, and, I, and, and I was even nicknamed Rambo by my, my friends. Ah, uh, nice. Uh, yeah, because um, in the in the work, some of my friends couldn't, couldn't uh, get there. The, one of my friends was um, asthmatic. He was a short guy, was not in shape. He couldn't take his backpack. So I had to, a uh, portion of the, of the work, I had to take my backpack and take his backpack and, 
and working through the woods and and uh, and, and, wow. and but it's been wow. great. You know, I was I was feeling all these guys you know suffering, but I was feeling oh it's okay. No, it's just the woods walking and running and climbing the hills in uh, in uh, uh, and I was very proud of me. You know of this achievement. You know coming from um, our weight uh, kid to uh, someone yeah, who can uh, surpass everyone on this uh, on uh, here. Yeah, I was feeling good. Uh, so I was expecting, and I was, uh, yeah, I wanted to experience the, the armed force. I wanted to learn how to use a gun. I wanted to go to a, uh, um, a combat company. Because it was my was my intention. But because of my CG cop, you know, the, the code that the medical um, examiner that uh, that um, examine you uh, in your entry, you know, the, the one yep. year before, they sent me um, uh, um, as a, they, they, they appointed me as a gardener. You know, so I did all this hard work and, and being, uh, this good result and ended up uh, in gardening. And I was once again very pissed off, <laughs> huh. and, um, you know, and because I really wanted to um, to feel what it is to uh, to uh, to uh, to, uh, to, uh, to 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 be a um, um, like a real soldier, fighter. like, yeah, real soldier, you know, to feel the to feel how, how it is. It was my my goal was to know, understand what, what you feel, what you can learn from. And um, and I complained. Yeah, I said, okay, I, was, um, I, got, I went to another camp and I told the, the colonel of this camp, uh, listen, I finished me um, among the first of the my of my class. And uh, there's a rule. The rule is that if I finish giving these people, I, I can choose my affectation. And I wanted to, and I told him, I want to go on combat. And he said, he said, yes, you're right. You have the right to choose. Uh, uh, okay, we, they had different, different companies uh, there, but I wanted to go in this specific company. And they said, okay. But it took something like six months. And in six months, not training anymore and not uh, doing this. I lost a lot of my of my uh, um, shape. And um, when I got back, when I got in, uh, incorporated in the fighting company, it was a help because they were already... Uh, I had a good question. They were training for six months together. I felt like I was an outsider. And actually, I never managed to um, incorporate the group. So um, so I tried. But also, I realized that army was not for me. Okay, So I, I did what I had to do. I learned a lot of stuff. And, um, and I also realized that uh, I was a free man. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I was not someone I can really take orders from from others. I um, was a rebel when I was a kid and I was a rebel when I went to Germany. I'm still a rebel in, in a way. You know, my life was led by this kind of doing things a bit uh, off track. That's why also I'm here in Laos and everything I'm doing. And I decided to uh, talk to my lieutenant and say, yeah, I don't feel good here. I don't know what, you know. And he just said, okay, so, so leave. And one, and um, and when he was talking leave, he was uh, deserting. I said, okay. So I decided to leave the army and to, um, and to not come back. But of course, there's consequences. Yeah. <laughs> Get your police running after you uh, and, uh, because it's, it's illegal. So I got back uh, home, but, and, um, but I was changed. Yeah, I was changed. I was a bit of equal shape. I got back home, and, but I was not at peace because every time that, you know, like I told you, I was living in a kind of... Um, ghetto neighborhood and we had a um, uh, police control uh, not every day but you know uh, 
with my group of friends that of course they stop you in the IDU and of course I'm going in the file of course uh, I ending up in the police station because I'm I'm a I don't have this deserter and so I would say oh yeah, yeah you got a warrant we would say for your arrest yeah exactly so uh, luckily French police is not like American police uh, because. I could have get got shot uh, <laughs> because I'm not really that compliant. Uh, I would say not fighting with the police, but teasing them, roasting them a bit, uh, and not really to comply. Um, but one day uh, they will have two kind of police. Uh, we have the national police in France, and we have the kind of gendarmerie, which, which is uh, the army police. It's also one of police force, but also the kind of uh, it's a corp. It's cop himself. Uh, it's uh, in, in in France, and in charge of people like me. And um, one day, one of the guy came to me and talked to me, and and, uh, and not like threatening me like the other cops were doing. You know, when they when I was uh, controlling the street, they handcuffed me and, and you know threatening me and for this and that going to jail. And this one was just talking to me like an adult uh, to a kid. And he said, "Yeah, you should um, go back and just if you want to." Go to Germany, do all you have to do, all the paperwork, and do make it official. And um, I say, yeah, I'm just running away, there's no point, you know, running, they will just follow me all my life, and there's no point doing this. So uh, I say, okay, I will go back. And he convinced me to go to the um, gendarmerie station near my house. And um, but these guys there were not nice, uh, they handcuffed me, they they they. They threatened me. They threatened me. One way, handcuffed me and wanted to slap him on my face. Okay, go go ahead. Uh, and it was really threat, threat, threatening. And um, they put me into a jail. It was an um, army jail. And uh, this was a big turning point of my life. I think uh, probably the most important turning point of my life because it's a it's a concrete jail, three by three, with a um, concrete bed, with a um, steel um, sink and uh, the kind of a hole in the ground like a toilet with the dry sheet in inside and inside a disgusting place. And I started to cry. And I said to cry, so why are you going? Why are you, what are you doing? You want to end your life in this kind of place? Uh, come on. I said, you have to do something with your life. Something with your life or you will just keep going this way and, and then you end you, your life in, in jail and you don't want that. Because I understand, I understood how much I love freedom. I didn't, couldn't see stay in the army because of freedom. And I cannot go to jail because I love freedom. Uh, and, um, and that this is a um, healing point uh, with me. Uh, at this point, it's where I reconnected with my family, my brothers, my mother, my sister. And they welcome me like a, like a brother and like a son, you know. And, um, and uh, so I went back to, uh, to the army and, and uh, start to uh, do all the process to, to be uh, released. We call it the P4, the psychiatry uh, release. <laughs> but it was quite easy, you know, uh, because people uh, took me for, for, for a crazy guy already. Because some of the kids... Oh, so what, of, what was it? I'm sorry, it was like a psychiatric release? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah the, because there's different... Um, the, it's uh, the P4. Um, okay, the CG cop is, um, you know, CG, it's a uh, it's, uh, superior, uh, superior eyes... Uh, General legs uh, in psychiatric. You know, it's a one letter has a number from one to five. One yeah. is the top condition, five is the worst condition. 
And uh, depending on the number of the ranking of, of each of these fields, you are um, discharged or not. And, um, and, P, and um, P4, psychiatry 4, uh, it's uh, the level when you can be discharged from your army because you're not suitable for to, to, to Yeah. Okay, so you, it's a, and anyway, they have to make me out because I, I was not really cooperative and not really useful in, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the core. Uh, but it already thought I was crazy actually because um some of the kids were 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 with me and cooperated with me some of them stayed and they were there when I came back and they can explain the rumor that I was uh, you know the the rainbow the rainbow image uh, that I had just you know the the spirit of, you know, like I was a tough guy I was not a tough guy you know but yeah I was I did not really complying but to them I was kind of you know, I was not the the guy you has to to mess with. Even the officer, the um, they didn't want to mess with me, so <laughs> I was quite easy for the few the, the few weeks. I, I remained there to uh, to uh, to get the discharge, and uh, and yes, I go. I want to see a psychiatrist. I mean that in discharge. I mean, I got back to um, my uh, life, except that um, I still uh, was um, I still had a sentence to. Uh, to jail, actually, in France, uh, you you also mm -hmm. in this I had I was sentenced to one month of jail. It didn't happen because it was in charge were dropped. For, but uh, yes, there's some consequences about this. And I had my um, it was not my first job, but my first job as a as a as a renewed kid was at McDonald's. I was just uh, uh, serving sandwiches, and one of my friends was working there, and I was okay looking for him for a job. And my civil life um, started from there. Wow. So, so to kind of jumping ahead, explain to us how you end up in Laos later in life. How'd you uh, get there? The you know going back to see your father, and then how'd you end up staying there? It's uh, actually it's uh, uh, it's a bit um, it's a bit linked because uh, my first time in Laos was in two thousand three, uh, wow. and so after the army. Um, uh, I tried different stuff, but um, in my um, way of um, healing myself and going forward, I had to confront my dad. I had to to see him and ask for answers. So I decided to yes, uh, at twenty five I was at this time. Okay, I need to go there my first time, my first trip abroad, and I want to I want to talk. I need to talk to my dad. Why? Why? Why did you leave your family? And uh, it was in 2003. Uh, but I come back to the army because it's important uh, because when I was uh, at this time uh, before, when I, I wanted maybe to uh, to make a career there, but I didn't, I couldn't. So and, uh, that's what led me to Laos because if I was able to make a career in the army, I probably wouldn't uh, uh, went to this trip. And yeah. I probably came to Laos and learn about the country, learn about my family, get attached to it and come back. So it's a good thing that I was not good enough to, to go there. Uh, uh, so I could travel and meet my dad and to, um, and to, um, and to fall in love with this country and to decide uh, later to, to come and live here. Uh. So um, how, I come, how I come there? I decided to, uh, um, to, come, to come here, but I didn't want to, I didn't want really to have a special privilege. Uh, I wanted to discover by myself uh, the country, 
uh, backpack and I just uh, asked my mom to wrote on the paper and now the address of my grandma uh, so I can just give it to, uh, to a tuk-tuk so he can uh, bring me to the uh, from the border to the to my grandma's house so I crossed the, um, uh, the border the bridge um, and took a um, tuk-tuk show it the paper uh-huh. and look at me, look at me. and I and in a strange way, I didn't understand it yet. But actually, he was my uncle. Uh, <laughs> the driver wow. took him. He was, his, <laughs> he was my uncle. And uh, he, so he brought me there. And there was an old lady waiting, you know, uh, on the stairs in the front of, uh, of the house. He, she was, um, it was um, something like six, seven o'clock in the morning, you know, like same light, very nice light, moving light. And she looked at me. She was already half blind. My, 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 my grandmother lost her sight uh, in, her, in her late days, and she was already half blind, and she couldn't see me. But when I get out of the tuk-tuk, she started to um, uh, stand up, be very emotional, and uh, and she hugged me. Hmm. Wow, so she knew, she knew it was you, right? Yeah. She knew I was, she knew I was me, and I, for me, it was like magic. How could she oh, understand? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Later wow. on, and later on, I knew that my mom, of, of course, showed her mom that her, because she was, uh, she was scared that you know uh, something could happen. So she, she told my grandma that I was coming. I didn't know because I told her no, yeah. don't tell. You know, I was yeah. surprised. <laughs> but she, she hugged me, and I, I, I felt this uh, incredible warm feeling, warm thing that I never felt uh, before. Um, you need to understand, but you can understand because you, you are also. Um, uh, people living abroad from your, from your roots. And for me, my family was six people, was uh, uh, me and my siblings and my two parents. And for me, it was my family, you know, cellular family, small family. And didn't even know what it felt to have a grandma. Didn't know what it felt to have uh, uncles and, mm. and cousins. And and it was my my birthday for the coming days and all these um, family gathering and, and celebration, and, you know, just for me, and I felt incredible. I felt incredible. This, this warmth. You know, you know the how a lot of people can be uh, welcoming. Yeah. How they yeah. they make it feel easy, like you you're part of them. And um, it's what you know. Understand? Yes. Okay. Family is not only six. Family is family is this. This is the feeling of part of family. This is and this is and this is my country. Yeah, I really felt this way. Um, also, because um, when I was a kid, uh, when I was uh, in high school and uh, and um, you know a teenager, I never had time. I was late every day, and I was in retention every every end of the week because I was late every day, and I didn't could not understand why I was late. And when I came in Laos, and I was all I was I was all these people who um, didn't care about time. I said, okay, it's my it's my home actually. I, I belong. <laughs> I felt really home right away. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it was very um, nice feeling in uh, in Laos in 2003. It was not Laos now. Now it changed a lot, but it was. I think we had one traffic light in the city. I remember wow. because my auntie we went to his friend. Ah, this is the only traffic light in the country. <laughs> was <that> really, <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, I think they were. I don't even know they were ATMs. Uh, 
something like this. And um, the um, Patusai, you know, around the Patusai now, it's not there's a pile of concrete, but it was still um, dirt, uh, dirt, it was her earth around the Patusai. It was, oh. uh, had still had a lot of uh, dirt road in, in, in Mientian itself. So yeah. it was really, really time. All the girls were, were um, wearing scenes and, and, you know, and, and all the, you know. Yeah, traditional, the, traditional yeah, dress. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, the, the, the Laos that you see in the pictures. It was very, very, yep. uh, very, very um, strange, exotic to me. Uh, and also, also, also met, okay, I will come to my dad a bit later, but also what was also exotic is uh, I wanted to help and later on I met my dad and wanted to help him a little bit. So I changed um, some money for him because he wanted he wanted to fix one of his rooms in his house. So I gave him a uh, change of 100 euros. I went to the bank and, and I went back with a, a suitcase, like, like in, a, in the mafia movies, because at this time there were only 10,000 10, bills, you know. So uh, from one euro, I had, uh, yes, I don't know, millions of, of kips. <laughs> <laughs> You're a millionaire uh, immediately. Yeah, I was yeah. a millionaire. <laughs> I had this picture of the, with the, like a drug dealer, you know, with this yeah. table with all this, uh, <laughs> this, this, uh, huh. this money packed. It was 10,000 bills. They have no, at this time, not yet 20,000. Now we have 100,000, but yeah. it was bills. bill. We still had 1,000, uh, no, no, 500 uh, kip bills. So it was, yeah, another one. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, it was funny. So this was yeah my first time in uh, in my family, and after maybe when um, I decided to yes to to go to go and see my um, my dad and uh, met him in his house, and um, he didn't expect me for him for 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 real him he didn't expect me to come, and um, he was yeah he was very emotional he cried and he was happy to see me. And um and we um we connected, we were connected and and uh, starting uh, afresh and try, learning to relearn it to know each other because we haven't seen. Last time you saw me, I was a teenager. I was fourteen years old. Ten years later, eleven years later, I came as a young adult and um went to see him. And that's it. Wow, so kind uh, of so fast forwarding. Yeah, you eventually decide to settle there permanently. And uh, this podcast sports is a big part of it. So maybe tell us about your journey into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you're doing something really awesome, uh, kind of trying to establish it in Laos as a sport. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Okay. My um, martial arts journey was um, um, started after um, a street fight, actually. Mm. So... Um, like in France, reconnecting with some, some kind of social life. Uh, my uh, teenage friends were playing a lot of football, soccer. We played soccer there, football, we call it soccer, football here. But it's a very tense sport. And sometimes it's breaking up into fights, you know, because uh, there's a lot of ego, there's a lot of um, group uh -huh. fights. Uh -huh. And one day we were into a fight and um, we did good. Uh, we were a bit older than the, the, the team. And, and facing us, um, were five, six, and they were 12. So we managed to do good. But they were retaliation because one of my good friends was um, coming from Africa, I told you. 
was um, um, like to to fight a lot. I won't blame him because when he was um, when he arrived in France, he was uh, something like six seven, and like it was not an easy neighborhood when when we grew up. And he was bullied a lot and has to fight uh, to defend himself because he was bullied by, by a lot of kids. But he was a tough guy, strong guy. And Afghan people are quite strong, and but also very very um, uh, angry. And so we had this first fight when no one was seriously injured and went well. But we're at the stadium training quite, not every day, but almost, playing football or running, whatever. And you saw one of the kids uh, who had a part of the uh, opposite team who assaulted us. And he wanted revenge. And I said, I'm not really, I'm not someone, uh, I'm a fighter, but I'm not a troublemaker. And don't engage fight for... Uh, for pleasure, uh, all the fights I've been involved was for self-defense. Never really. Um, I'm not in kind of uh, mood. But my friend was a bit angry and wanted come some kind of uh, retaliate on, on him. And um, I said, "Come on, uh, we're four of us running." Um, and he wanted to. It was starting to bully him, you know. And um, this guy started to pick up the phone. And I said, "Okay, now we have to make a decision. Either if you want to." He want to uh, to smash him, smash him, and we we'll go home. Uh, but don't let him call his friend because we'll be in trouble. If oh, I don't care, I don't care. Let them come, let them come. And, and, and it's not a good idea, guys. It's not a good idea. Um, uh, he called his friends. He, they, they, um, four of them came armed, um, quite big, strong guys. Uh, one has armed with bottles, um, um, kind of steel bar, maybe a knife. Maybe a gun, I'm not sure, uh, but I, I, I think I saw a gun. It's not like you, it's not, maybe not real gun, but my, I pressure gun or whatever. And um, they, they came at us and, um, and, uh, and, uh, and I tried to discuss, okay, let's go home. One of our, we have, we're two who wanted to really be easy on, on this and, and go home safely. And one of the, the the second friend was also peaceful. Um, got a, a bottle smash on his face right away. So uh, he started to. Uh, at the same time, I, uh, I was hit by behind on, on my head. I don't really know what struck me, but I had my, my face uh, swollen. I was bleeding all, all, all around, and and we sped. We we sped. We ran uh, apart. And um, I was running maybe at 100 meters and I heard my, my friend screaming like he was dying, like he was someone was uh, cutting his throat. And I, and I asked myself, what do, you, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And I decided to come back. I said to come back. Okay, it's my friend. It's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid because I could have I got worse, but I made a choice uh, to walk him to... Um, for me, loyalty and cohesion is so important to me. And I say to come, to come back and help him. I ended up, I ended up um, with him being uh, smashed <laughs> on the ground, kicked on the ground. Uh, we, there were four, we were two. The two of them, uh, the two of our friends didn't come back, they, they escaped. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we were beaten, beaten until um, he had, um, now he has, a face, he has 16 uh, how you sit, um, um, points. Yes. He has yeah. his sitters in his face. 
um, but we don't, you know, it's it was hard at the time, but we don't have real sequels from it. We didn't get stabbed, we didn't get uh, uh, any commotions, um, we didn't get a uh, gunshot, so it was not physically harmed. We were beaten uh, strong. Police came after the uh, emergency came after also because we were bleeding. Or yeah, we was bleeding. Mm -hmm. uh, his his uh, shirt was uh, um, uh, full of blood. You know, he was he has a, a white shirt that would which turned red of blood. So we were taken to the hospital for checks, checking, etc. So it was a quite a traumatic experience, um, and. Um, that recovered, we physically recovered, but in this kind of um, trauma, kind of assault, the physical part is not always the hardest part. Sometimes the, so for me, the, it was much more the, the, the mental uh, toll I, I had. I was very traumatized actually. Uh -huh. uh, when I was going out of home, I was looking on my back and uh, you know, didn't feel secure. And uh, Thomas said, what, what do you want? Do you want to um, say like this? All the time, you want to feel scared all your life. What you do now? What What's the next step? And the next step was to uh, learn to um, to fight. And, um, and so, like I told you, I was um, I was kind of nerdy guy, and and I was uh, early um, for my time in France, for early uh, um, internet user, high 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 speed internet user and stuff. So I started to search for what could I learn, what should I learn, what's available here. Uh, and so um, I tried many, many classes. I went to many schools um, until um, I registered to uh, my first class was a Kramagat class. Actually, I said my first martial arts was Kramagat. Uh, because on the internet, I saw that um, uh, it was um, the martial arts used by the French SWAT team. You know, the uh, GGN is a French SWAT team. And um, and the trainer of the GGN was my professor, uh, uh, Richard Uyeb, who is uh, one of the was the high, highest ranked in Tramaga there. So it was good for a couple of months at Tramaga. Uh, I got uh, stronger, and, um, more confident, in better punches and better better shape overall. And uh, um, Richard Uyeb was very um, honest compared to many Tramaga. Uh, owner or practitioner because when he was he was also training brazilian jiu-jitsu and when he was uh, one day he showed us a move um a ground move ground is i don't remember which one maybe it was taking course stand up something very basic take course stand up how to come from the ground to to uh, to a uh, same position and he said yeah this move is uh, coming from jiu-jitsu from brazilian jiu-jitsu oh okay so uh, look further on in a is there a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in, in academy in France? Uh, actually, there were two. And uh, I went to one of them. Uh, this time, the, 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 it was uh, called the Senkuno. And um, um, and the Jiu-Jitsu teacher were François Laurent and David Pierlu, who still have my professor until now. And also, they were very competent and, and very known. Uh, Good reputation teacher in France, uh, and uh, I tried my first class and I loved it. I got smashed, of course. <laughs> so your first jiu-jitsu, got smashed, and and okay, I want I want to um, 
I want to know, I want to understand how this little, little guy, because uh, it's always the same story. You come to Jitsu, you fight with a small guy, lighter guy, or sometimes a woman, they tap you out. And some, some people, yes, they pissed off and don't come back. And no, I want to know how this little guy, uh, when I say little guy, I'm not talking about Francois, I'm talking about one of my friends who was already um, a good practitioner there. How quickly he, can he tap, tap me out? Uh, and that's how I got in, involved in Jiu-Jitsu. And what was good is it was not just a Jiu-Jitsu class, it was multi-sport. So they were um, uh, doing Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Nogi Jiu-Jitsu, uh, MMA. We didn't call it MMA then, then because um, it was uh, MMA was uh, forbidden. Well, actually, uh, MMA is legal in France only for a couple of years, but we call it yep. Frank Pankrat. Yeah. Um, judo and um, and uh, kickboxing uh, and I was doing all of them so I was training um, six days a week sometimes two, three, sometimes four hours I was doing uh, judo and jiu-jitsu or boxing and MMA and, and I was training like like a like crazy for something like two years six years, six days a week and, and I loved it and that's how I, I really uh, turned to martial arts well, Wow. So what's happening in Laos? You're there in your gym. I know you, you teach classes. You're putting together the Lao national team. Tell us what's going on with BGJ in Laos and what are your goals? Yeah, BGJ in Laos, it's, it's a long story. It's funny because um, now we got a lot of attention uh, because because of Jed and his results, incredible results in the SEA Games. Uh, people think that uh, juice is popping from uh, out of nowhere uh, in Laos. Uh, that actually um, I tried to teach since uh, I arrived in 2009. And um, it was a struggle. Um, it was a struggle. And uh, you need to understand, you know, probably that uh, 2009 is something like now, you know, that Jusu was still confidential. Um, now it's all around the world, but in 2009, um, uh, I just, uh, oh, and just before leaving, I received my, my purple belt. And I really, when I came here, uh, I wanted to train, and so I looked for a gym. Uh, of course, no, no, no gym in Laos. The only one I found was in Phuket, I guess. Um, I don't remember the name of the instructor, but uh, I just checked on the website uh, from Laos, and I think it was a blue belt at this time. And yeah, uh, there's nothing. So now, now I know in Thailand it's way advanced, even yeah. they have a high level. But um, I was there as a purple belt in Southeast Asia. And what do I do now? Do I, I, don't, I didn't have any training partners. How do I keep training? Or how do I improve? I tried to teach the first couple of months with a group of friends here, a group of people. Actually, there was another guy coming from America because there's a lot of foreigners. And uh, another American guy was also a purple belt in Laos. So we trained together for a couple of times. We set up a group and we started to um, to train in Sangdara gym, you know. For those who know when Vientiane Laos, Sangdara was uh, the only gym in, in Vientiane for 10 years or more. Now there's gyms everywhere, but Sangdara was the only uh, fitness gym in, uh, in in Laos for for years. And they had the yoga room there, you know, and dancing room. And we did, we go there a couple of times, but I didn't really, um, but it was not my priority at, at this time because you need to understand also that I, I was fresh alive in Laos with my backpack, my guitar, and uh, 1,000 euros in pocket. And I 
I didn't come with an, an NGO. I didn't come for a job. I just come for to, to change life, to live an adventure. And I had to find a job. I had to sustain to, you know, my have uh, some incomes. And for sure, then Jusu was not way to earn money. Still, still not way to earn. You know, still little. I make incomes in, from Jusu, but it's really little compared to what they do around. Um, uh, and so I had to find a job. And uh, that's how I, it's another part of my life. It's uh, how I entered the movie industry. Uh, um, my sister was here already. She moved one year before me and she knew a guy. His name was Anusan Shesagda. He was the, um, the CEO of uh, Art Media, which was the first part movie company in, in Laos. Uh, they did uh, Sabadir and Pamang and other stuff. Now they're still doing, still doing things uh, with the Matido. Yeah. Yeah, doing good things actually, but the company is something that uh, I don't want to take bad things. But it was a uh, yeah. it was Laos time, okay. So uh, I went there not as a filmmaker, but I went there as a IT because uh, yes, I was a nerd and I was doing IT, uh, learning a lot of my own, uh, and and um, but IT was not enough to um, sustain my living. Because uh, there were not real IT jobs here. There's few connect, computer connect, uh, computers connected, not real network, not really challenging things. And, and I had a um, $300 salary uh, and a $250 rent. <laughs> hmm. So it was also the, the fun time, my first year and a half. Um, and it's also what people don't understand here. When a lot of people will see people like me, like foreigner. Foreigner will see people like me like now. So people think that um, I'm benefiting from both worlds, but actually I have both um, uh, problems from both worlds. And so when I come in to see, when I come to see my boss, okay, boss, I need a raise because I, I cannot pay my rent. You know, uh, yeah, but you already have a manager salary. I cannot pay you more than two hundred dollars. In yeah. two thousand nine, true, it was not. It's a lot of money in Laos back then. Yeah, back then it was a lot of fun already. And so I went to my landlord. Uh, can you um, get me a lower rent? Because I'm just making $200 a month and you ask me $250, it's, I'm struggling. Are you lying? You're a foreigner. You're probably earning $700, 1000 a month. You're lying. I cannot, uh, I don't give you a discount. So on, on a year and a half, something I lived on, on this, I live on $50 a month. And uh, in, uh, in, uh, like I said, I have retail savings with 1000 euros and things but not much you have to find a solution so um Laura Kmenia were doing movies kind of movie stuff but they're not doing doing uh, video production and services we had cameras we had some lightings and stuff and I said okay boss um let's do something um I will uh, if I find projects manage projects and bring project to the company can we share uh, so um, I'm finding clients trying to work for you Instead of paying a salary, we, we, we split the, the, the incomes from the project. And you say, oh, yeah, good, good idea. Uh, okay, good. So it's how I learned the craft of filmmaking. Uh, it's, I was not very new. I was um, already doing a lot of photography and, and, and stuff and, and music and, and in France. Actually, I'm, I don't, I don't call, like to call myself an artist, but I'm really, um, really into in these kind of things. Uh, image and music, etc. writing. And how to learn the skills from the internet, 
the internet is uh, at, at this time it was a 560 512 uh, um, k a very small um, small internet and when you had all your coworkers who are done, done downloading porn and, uh, on the on the on the on the company on the company uh, company's internet is not a uh, it's difficult but i managed to find you know all the information i needed uh, to train myself and um, and it's how i became a professional filmmaker learning how to film all the techniques um, etc and uh, so the first part of my life in Laos was uh, doing this that I had to to leave this company because uh, one is what the, the time to split the you know the money from the project. The first time it was okay, second time okay, but the few less later times, my boss, more his wife, who was the real owner, she didn't really uh, want to pay uh, me my share, even if I yeah. was bringing the work, you know, work or doing the work and doing all the work. It's not only <laughs> okay. I'm leaving, so I decided to leave. And, uh, to become a freelancer. That's why I became uh, um, filmmaker, um, freelance filmmaker. I was not really sure that I could make a living back then, uh, in 2010. So I also applied for um, a tour company. I became a tour leader for a company now. It's closed, called Australia Asia. It was a, it's a kind of bus running around uh, Southeast Asia. And actually, I was the, I couldn't, I can't say I was a guide because I, yeah. you're not like, Allowed to be a guide when a foreigner, uh, I was too little, so I was I was trained for for a month. Uh, about a different location in, in in Laos. It was really good for me because it allowed me to travel all over the country, but also in in, uh, in Thailand. So we had this tour from Bangkok, all around to the north, from the north to of Laos, all the, to the south and back from the south of uh, Thailand, go to Bangkok. So I spent six months working as a tour leader. It was a good time. Um, good time as learning, um, learning the country, learning the geography. Until hey, um, hey, hey Amitabh, we're uh, we're running short on time here for the, oh, the podcast. Um, could you uh, tell us about what your plans are right now for uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Laos, and what 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 plans do you have in the upcoming future? Um, there's um, the Asian Games, of course, uh, mm -hmm. but. My plan is, okay. So I was saying that Jiu-Jitsu was a, a struggle because when I did not have um, think partners for, for the beginning, doing a judo for many years, relation with Jiu-Jitsu was not really good. Uh, it was difficult for me also because um, I was not yet a black belt. Uh, I'm not a champion in title. So I think people, they take me seriously um, for, for the, my first time here. And um, until we decide to compete, and we decide to compete um, for less than a year, uh, it will be a year and a couple of days. We did uh, with the kids' first competition uh, on my birthday on the 29th. Um, so when you, we, one kid, now we have a team, six, seven kids going. And mm -hmm. with Jed also, uh, we went to the, uh, it was a kind of a bet also. It was not really expected, but managed to go to the SEA Games, and we did these incredible results. And this brought a lot of attention, attention to Laos and to Lao Jiu-Jitsu, um, because nobody was expecting us. Nobody there knew they were Jiu-Jitsu in Laos, except maybe Cambodia and, and Thai, because I have some connection in Cambodia and, mm -hmm. and Thailand. Um, but um, it 
was the first entry in the international competition. So nobody, all these people, this competitor knew each other because they're competing with each other for, for long years. They know all each other. And it was the kind of uh, the, the new guy in, you know, and we were the new guys and and they were not really um, expecting, knowing us. And when they ask some of the computer ask, oh, who are you? Uh, what belt are you? And uh, the kids say, oh, we're blue belts. And oh, you know, there's only uh, black belts, you know. I think it was part of intimidation. Uh, yeah, strategy. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, you were there, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, but we were confident. I was very confident in them. And when when we reach uh, the, the 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 finals, it's suddenly people, all the people all people could become our friends. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, all the people you know from the federation, from the committees, they were all rushed to take pictures. Um, they came to congratulate us, and it's good. It's it's a true performance. I think that people don't realize. People in the jiu-jitsu knows that being a blue belt is really in a, people also. Tend to think that because he was this, they spent time in America, him and um, Jen and Timo, they uh, kind of um, like Jessa and then Jessa Khan, who's uh, in training with the Mendes brothers, you know. But it's not the case. They, they, they are really um, real brothers, you know, three, two, three years of experience. And they're not really even, even training in um, a sport academy. The, their main academy is a self defense academy. And yeah. so we had uh, to, to do a lot of work here on, on short time in one week. We train um, morning and evening. My my goal was my first um, goal was to assess them to know what what they know, what they can do, to know what they what what the qualities as, as fighters, and try to um, complement them to be able to fight this competition to uh, to be able to uh, to face the, the the challengers. And the NJ did, did very well. Anyway, it is very well. Um, I'm half surprised because I don't know how to say that, but. Um, as a as a coach, your your main job is to observe and to to see student and and when I saw him training, um, especially with Ty and his brother, uh, I saw something in the eyes, you know, this this kind of uh, the eye of the tiger that I don't see here many often. Uh, and I, I yeah, he has he has the mindset, he has the physical abilities, and now we need maybe to to feel some some of the. Uh, technical knowledge that he doesn't have as a blue belt because all the all the people he w- would fight has you know higher level brown black belts very high level and we managed to to do that and to um to uh, to find the right game plan and to do what we did and so because now we have this um official recognition uh the first step now still working on it but it's to establish the large youth federation yeah. we'll go for the next international competition keep um uh, keep um, training the kids because I'm happy to have all this um, uh, uh, Lao athletes coming from abroad, but my main goal is to raise the first generation of Lao Jiu MMA fighters. My my main my main work is working with the kids uh, every day, every week basis. And on the middle, middle term, um, develop MMA. For, for me, I think it's the, because there's, there's a lot of potential here, people. Um, I spread apart into wrestling, into boxing, into judo, and um, and struggling because sport is a you cannot make money here. You know? In any sport, you cannot make yeah. money in, in, in Laos. Even as an athlete in America, only few are sponsored. Uh, you know, um, can make a living from it. You have to be on the top uh, to, to 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 make a living here. It's even worse. And um, the only way to make money is to uh, go on MMA uh, because there's. 
they, they, this is where the martial are going to. Is it where is where is the money? Uh, there's a UFC, but there's also one FC here. Yeah, one championship. Yeah, one championship. And um, my goal is to try to um, uh, outsource all the talents that we can find here um, and create um, um, a national MMA team. It's not for now, now, but it's my midterm goal. Yeah. Steps before that. But yeah, yeah, I think it's, sure. the way, it's the only way uh, for this athlete to make a living. It's not really about me. It's about uh, it's like everything. You know, a lot of people here don't train because they have to to eat first. They have to uh, yep. to, to work. They have to sometimes, you know. And if they cannot make a living, they won't be able to perform. Even if they have great potential, a lot of people are quite strong. They're very strong, very flexible. They have incredible sense of balance. I can I can say it because because of my work. Also, like I said, um, I'm, I'm a filmmaker and. And sometimes we're going into the jungle for shooting in remote areas. And uh, it's what makes me uh, love to see all these um, foreigners coming with all these um, um, gears, you know, shoes, hats, backpacks, mm. and, and, and being tough in the jungle. But And you have the, the driver coming with the flip-flops, and they cannot follow the driver, you know. They, yeah. they allow people climbing mountains, they're climbing uh, trees, uh, you know, bare feet. And... Uh, they have very good physical abilities that are underexploited. Honestly, yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of uh, I don't know if it's genetic gift or whatever, um, but for martial arts, for jiu-jitsu, for MMA, they have a lot of qualities that are not uh, exploited, and I really want to give them this opportunity actually. Um, and like I can announce it to to you because it, it's a, it's. A, it's premiere and they haven't announced it yet on my, you know, on my Facebook. But um, starting next season, we will open the first um, MMA program for kids. So now we have a YouTube program, but um, and starting next season, we open also an MMA program. I wasn't doubtful at first because I'm not really uh, for striking, uh, involving striking to kids, but other people are doing it. Uh, in, other um, kids are training MMA, and 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 I don't want my kids to be behind because I don't want them to get injured. Into uh, if then I will do things my way to make sure that they um, to preserve their, their integrity, especially about striking. Um, but I cannot let them behind because if kids now start to train MMA uh, and leg locks and kind of stuff. My Laula kids here, my student will be um, won't be able to perform and to uh, to compete with them. So we already training nogi yeah, for in leg locks and kind of things that I didn't want to teach at first to to, to little kids. For me, from the uh, beginning was many on my adults program, but it's a wave, it's a trend that I cannot go against. And if if students in other academies are doing it, I cannot let my student behind yeah. because they, they won't be they can be injured at my main problem. My main issue, I don't want them to go into competition and get injured. They have to be prepared. They have to know what's happening and not to have they need to have an answer to it. Yeah, that's so, exciting. So that yeah, we really look forward to following you. Um you know it's only the beginning. So Brazil I know Brazilian Jiu Jitsu's been there for a while in some form, but with all the attention brought to it with yeah. the SEA games 
your plans. Hopefully, we'll be announcing the Asian Games plans soon. For those of you who don't know, Asian Games is China this fall, September, October. We're hoping to make a, a big presence there. Um, hey, we'll be announcing that shortly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that'll be exciting as well. And then it sounds like the future's wide open. So we look forward to kind of keeping in contact with you, following your journey as you bring Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, and just keep up in the level now. Because the one thing I would say is you're right. There's a lot of untapped potential. Um, yeah. and, and if we find the right athlete with the right training, with the, you know, the right financial backing, et cetera, they could go, they could, there's the sky's the limit. So, um, thanks so much for everything you're doing. We look forward to following you. Everybody follow BJJ Laos on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and you'll be able to follow Amata's journey into the future. Co, anything else as we wrap up? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Amata, for coming on. And thank you for sharing a lot of your, you know, personal details as you were growing up and then everything you experienced there. That was really, really refreshing to hear. Um, that was, I mean, it, if, if there wasn't a time constraint, you know, we could have gone, you know, we could have gone a lot, a lot longer. So, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. There's really, uh, uh, you remind me of one of my other, one of our other guests, Kenya. I was like, well, you should write a book, man. You ha you have a book, you have enough to write a book. Uh, very hey. interesting. And just your, your story is very different, very unique. So yeah, you, um, just, it's great. You know, things you're doing with BJJ and Laos and uh, that's great. You know, I mean, I'm looking for that right competitor and then training him to be, you know, a potential champion, you know, to have some champions that come out from, from Laos, you know, in, in that, in, in Southeast Asia area. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And, um, and, uh, yeah, we can talk anytime, you know, uh, yeah. and, as that's true. I'm not, I was very about the personal stuff. I was, for a long year, I was not comfortable with it, but, but it's also what made me who I am. So yeah, that's that's what this that's what this podcast is about. Yeah. Is about our achievement through adversity. That's the A and the A. You know, Asian athlete achievement through adversity and all of everything that you overcome. And now look at you now, and you're getting to pass it on to a younger generation. Um, you know, of, of athletes in Laos. So it's it's very it's ever, very commemorable. It's awesome. Great. All right, Amata. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. thank you. The C4 Podcast is brought to you by the Lao American Sports Hall of Fame. Visit us on the web at laoamericansports.com, celebrating the first, inspiring the next.